For many of us, it is the most important commitment to take care of our loved ones. We need, we feed as the Beatles song goes, and we work hard to ensure that those close to us are thriving. Today, there are 53 million people taking care of their parents, neighbors, and friends. And there are 53 million stories. From the Stanford Center on Longevity, this is When I'm 64, the podcast for caregivers. I'm your host, Ken Stern. Today, we meet Richard Louie, a journalist and news anchor for MSNBC and NBC. He's been taking care of his father, who has Alzheimer's, and thinking a lot about what it means to be a caregiver. I don't think there's any other job that is more common than family caregiver in America, as a, as a profession, title, family caregiver. I mean, there, if, if, if this is the most common job in the world, you know, we should be talking about it like cheeseburgers. Or like lunches. What'd you have for lunch? What's your favorite cheeseburger? What'd you like in your cheeseburger? What kind of caregiving do you do? But we don't. And so how do we get it into the cheeseburger space? And as a journalist, I then said, we got to get this story out there. I'm not, I mean, it's not even talked about. So Richard Louis set out to do something about it. If you really think caregiving is important, then you're going to help me get a, a movie out there, a documentary on caregivers, because that's where we change culture. Got to change the culture. Get it into our bloodstream. Richard Louis persuaded a team of award-winning journalists, filmmakers, and producers to work mostly for free for five years to create a documentary about students and young people taking care of their families across the U.S. He called it Sky Blossom, a term used to describe paratroopers who come to the aid of troops on the ground. In the film, we meet five extraordinary caregivers. My name is Darren. My name is Jenna Plouffe. Hi. My name is Camille Greer, and you spell it C-A-M-I-L-L-E. K-A-M-A-I-L-E. I'm 11, I will turn 12. I am 15, actually about to be 16. Well, thank you, my friend. Anytime. Sky Blossom will be released at the end of May in theaters across the country. Richard Louie joined me to talk about making this amazing documentary and about his caregiving journey. When my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's about eight years ago, I realized, you know, what would I do? Uh, did I, and I'm, I'm in New York and he's in California. But it doesn't take much research to know uh, where that journey takes somebody with Alzheimer's. So I um, thought about it and then I reached out to my boss to work part-time if I could. Now, I was surprised. I expected her to say, sorry, kiddo, we love you. Square peg, round hole. Uh, journalists work eight days a week, and we do. Um, but instead, she said, I'm taking care of my mother in Florida. And we're both sitting there in an office at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, right? And it's with her selflessness and kindness that she then figured out something for me. Uh, and I began by talking about the difficulties of my father and the, the way he partook of his journey because uh, he was fighting for values and he was fighting for, for the family all the way through, right? And so there was no way I was not going to fight for him as he began this journey of Alzheimer's. Uh, he's now in year eight 
and I was lucky to see him two days ago um, for the first time in almost a year. We are also grateful, as you know, uh, we're also grateful that we in this great country have the opportunity to have vaccinations. And I don't say that with not appreciating or knowing the gravity of that, that amazingness that uh, we have. But because of that, I am able to see my father for the first time. And he looked good, smiling. Um, and um, I believe he recognized me. But I, you know, told him, stay as long as you, you need to. Now the concern is we can fight for him. We have given him, I think, uh, all of our energy as children to, to make sure he's doing the best he can. And, and now the question is, we don't want to keep him too long, if you know, that's the concern. Uh, but he, he has uh, taught me how to fight, and I am fighting for him. So, so you've noted elsewhere there are 53 million caregivers, and uh, you've told stories about how you've connected with people. So it's, it's a common thread that a lot of us have, but not many of us produce documentaries um, about caregiving. <laughs> uh, so tell us uh, how you decided to produce a documentary on caregiving and why on younger caregivers. Yeah. So as I you know, began that journey after my boss said, yes, you can work part-time Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, whoever thought I would be like this person that would talk about caregiving so much? <laughs> uh, I didn't think it was going to be me, but I was going to own it. So, you know, um, the Alzheimer's Association asked me to become a, a caregiving champion. Uh, ARP did to become a caregiving champion and speak out on it. Uh, the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and Hidden Heroes asked me to become an ambassador to talk about caregiving. And again, once I realized the magnitude of how gargantuan this thing is, you know, just rounding off numbers, as, you, as, as has been said, uh, over 50 million uh, Americans that are family caregivers, unpaid, untrained, uh, often full-time, and the value, half a trillion dollars a year, that's gargantuan. I don't think there's any other job that is more common than family caregiver in America as a, as a profession, title, family caregiver. And I think we are living in a caregiving renaissance of awareness, certainly. And it's not because of the, the movie, but it's just in general, we're talking about it more. We have states and cities and, 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 and some programs federally now that you know, folks are talking about, right? So that, well, this has never been talked about before. Um, so the movie which is called Sky Blossom, focuses on five child caregivers aged 11 to 26. And they're in the Midwest, the South, the East, the West, and the Pacific Islands. They are Latino, Black, Asian, Native, and White. And the reason why I wanted to talk about in military families, and why in military families, why young caregivers? Well, it's, it's because to tell the, the macro, you sometimes go to the micro. And it's not micro, by the way. There are five and a half million military caregivers in America. Five and a half million. There are five million child caregivers in America. Yes, under 18. And if we can bring their stories forward, there's a lot of things you get from it. Number one, older folks 
like me, don't mind watching stories about younger folks. Younger folks do not like watching stories about older folks like me. The reason why I call it Diaries, uh, Sky Blossom, Diaries of the Next Greatest Generation, is to show that often folks my age will look at younger folks and go, oh, eh, they're so selfish, they're good for nothing, they, you know, they're just doing posting all day. And when you see these characters, you'll go, oh, hang on a second. I am oversimplifying what older folks often do about younger folks. And if you are of their age group, you will say, I'm doing that too, or I need to do that too. Look what they're doing. So I'd love to hear you talk about some families and, and what they meant to you and what you took away from their interactions with them, especially the kids. Um, but there were a few themes that ran or sort of commonalities, um, the maturity of the kids. So let's actually start there. I mean, just tell us if you would sort of how you react to the kids, um, what spoke to you, what, what impressed you about the kids who were caretakers at sort of extraordinary young age. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I do interviews for a profession and I, but I don't normally interview 11-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, um, 18, 21, 26-year-olds. Not typically. What I really was surprised about and um, wowed was their honesty and their forthrightness in our conversations. Because who is this guy, you know? Who's this Richard guy coming to talk to me? And why do they have, you know, why do they have six lights out here and eight people? And, you know, we, we use a, a, a process called Enteratron. It sounds like a horrible word, but Enteratron basically is the, the interviewee stares at a screen of the interviewer. So you actually don't see the person. You just see my head. And the reason why is so that you, when you're looking at that screen, behind it is the camera. So that when we actually use that part of the interview, they're looking right into the camera. So if you can think of a more uncomfortable situation for an 11-year-old like Rihanna, who's in Long Beach, California, and Rihanna Alvarado, uh, who is on the spectrum, sitting there talking to me, yeah, for it, it's a lot of weirdness, but they all opened up in a way that I just wowed me. How strong is your dad? Really strong, like this. Mm. He looks different than he used to do, but I still love him. He's there for me, and he makes me happy. We shared that existence of caring for somebody else and, and seeing things that we both thought, me being the interviewer and they the interviewee, that we'd never see, right? We thought, and we shared that. And there's a, there was that instant comfort, I think. And just, just about every one of the protagonists cried and shared things about, you know, um, abuse, not by their parents, uh, or death, suicide. She got diagnosed with brain cancer, and by then it was, she only had a few months left after that, so. 
and that happened shortly after my mom passed away. She took her own life, came home from working, found her. She hung herself on the tree outside my bedroom window. That was about two and a half years ago. I did not think we were gonna go to those places and we didn't put it all in the, in the movie. But what I did tell them, uh, all the families, including the parents who were letting us speak with their children in another room, right? Can you imagine that? You'll let your, your child sit with this team, right? In another room, I, I'd get a little nervous. But they allowed us, and, and, and we did that just because we didn't want the, the, the protagonist, you know, the 11-year-old or the 16 or the 26-year-old to feel like there was somebody that was listening and, and judging them, you know, as kids, you know, because there's my mom, there's my dad, right? They, they really did open up, and I think the reason being is that they let us and they felt that way is, you know, I, 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 I would say it, and I really did believe it, and I told all the crew we needed to do this, is we needed to guard their story. It is our job. I said, I will be there from the beginning to the end of this process. And as a fellow caregiver, a person that is just like you, regardless of your age, I am going to make sure it's done right. I'm not going to give it to somebody else. I'm not going to close an eye. No, I'm going to be there to the last frame to get it right. I'm going to take out words if it means it misrepresents who you are. Just like with when I tell stories about human trafficking and the survivors later on, I needed to be there till the end. I needed to think of their well-being, and I hope I've done that. I hope I've done that. And that's why those interviews wowed me, because they gave everything to me. They gave me their story, almost as though they physically handed me a gift, and I said, I'll take care of it. And so when we spoke with Jenna Pluff, who is... 21 and lived through homelessness and became the head of the household at 21 uh, I was just like who is this person she lived through homelessness she's working full time at uh, at Panera she's going to uh, Washtenaw Community College she graduates from there wants to go to Michigan go blue and all that with a smile and um, a can-do attitude. In high school, when we were going to the food banks to get food, I would help and volunteer there. They would throw away all of the baked goods that they couldn't give to families. And I was like, this is so much that could help other people. I filled my entire car. I drove around the school parking lot flagging people down, asking them, do you want any of this? Do you want any of this? I remember I came across one girl. She said she had 13 other siblings. Just take it. Take whatever you want. I'm, like, way proud. Without her, I don't think I would have gotten this far. I wanted to show the story of that economic insecurity. I lived through economic insecurity. It is so common for uh, the caregiving community to, to go through that. Finances are 
always a discussion. It's a discussion still to my, to, to this day of my family. How do we pay for the caregiving community where my father is at? How do we you know, take care of the, the part-time caregivers that are uh, taking care of my mother? Who's going to pay for it? Where do we get the money? Where do we go to borrow the money? Uh, what if we can't borrow the money? And so there are a lot of echoes of my own journey in, in, the, in the movie, not directly, but certainly just by experience. You had one um, amazing scene, uh, many amazing scenes, um, uh, that you had video from one of, one of the uh, veterans uh, as, they were, had, as they were blown up, and I think it was in Kosovo. Um, and you had, I don't know where it came from, but uh, f- the video of him and then being uh, carried out to the chopper, I think, um, uh, and the story went that with it. Can you just sort of talk about that story? Uh, and share it with our listeners. Chaz Allen was deployed in, I believe, on one of the longer missions. He was a leader of his of his group, and Chaz Allen was being filmed by the great TF1 from France, and they were they were just doing a story of what's the day to, day of, day in the life, and so Chaz who was known for being very affable, very funny, and a great leader. And they're on patrol. And so the camera crew's following them to do that. What happens is he steps on an IED. They told me he was dead. I mean, they literally told me he was dead. So I was at the absolute bottom. You know, when we found out his brain was okay, everything was good. I looked at Darren and I said, Dad's going to come home. And she goes, there's something wrong with his legs. And I said, yeah, they're gone. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, your dad stepped on a bomb. Big explosion. He was so catastrophically wounded. There was no way he could be a dad. So we didn't bring the girls to even see him until March when he was feeling better. And we wanted to put that in because we knew that was a sort of event that brought many of our families to where they were today. Events like that. The thing about that scene, and and again, we don't show much of that, right? Because the focus of the film is on young caregivers. And we selected that scene as, you know, it took us a year to edit this for very specific reasons. And it was that to show the defining moment for one family that would change all of their lives forever. And despite that severity, the amazing ability that all these families have to bring him back. And, 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 and for that scene, we balance it out by showing how Darren Allen, and we, we are working with a former Disney animator, and that's why we have animations throughout the film. Because we want to show, because we weren't there when, you know, uh, Darren Allen, when she was five or six. Um, to show what she did to take care of dad. She told us. 
with great honesty and great emotion, she told us what she did, right, as a five, six, seven-year-old. A few days after that, I was like, I want to help him. I'm going to be his nurse, and I'm going to work in this hospital, and I'm going to help everybody. And so, like, I would change his IVs and stuff. Later on down the road, he had a flesh-eating bacteria in his back, and I was, like, kind of freaking out because he was getting really sick. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And then he got taken care of, and I was like, he's invincible. Nothing's going to happen anymore. Richard, uh, in between working at MSNBC and doing this film and taking care of your parents, um, you managed to squeeze in a book there, you know, perhaps, <laughs> you know, perhaps on the weekends. Uh, tell, uh, tell us about the book and uh, when the hell did you have time to write it? Uh, enough About Me, uh, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness, uh, was a project that I started a year ago. Um, it was inspired by two things. One... Um, as a reporter and journalist, I saw way too much bad stuff. And the way I summarize as a selfish pandemic, whether it's mass killings, um, whether it's hate crimes and hate incidents, uh, whether it's uh, racial strife, all of this said that, you know, we're, we're thinking about ourselves too much. And one of the inspiring moments along with my work was what I was doing with my father. And having to care for him over the years, you know, um, I've had to re-identify why am I doing these things? What the heck? Why, why am I caring for my father? Why am I traveling across the country? Why am I asking to um, work less, make less? And you just do it, right? Some, some, we don't say it out loud to ourselves. You know, Richard, why are you doing this? Well, the reason why I'm doing it is, but having to do the, these conversations so many times, I started to have to answer the questions that were in my brain out loud, right? Because I, I, in, 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 when discussing caregiving, people say, why are you doing this, Richard? And I would outwardly have to say, well, why wouldn't I do that? I, I, my father gave to me. I need to give to him too, right? Well, what am I saying? And, and, and so in essence, I'm saying I'm giving of self. You know? and, and sometimes the conversations would go that way. Typically, we don't have those conversations out loud. <laughs> but I had to, and that's what drove me then to say, let's go for this. And the idea is, here's my little bit to combat that. Here's my, little, my, my few ideas, working with scientists, working with researchers, and learning, as a journalist might, by talking to people uh, of those who are not selfless, who, excuse me, of those who are selfless, and those who are experts in being selfless. And so it's a journalist uh, expression um, and really m having to prove to myself that it is possible and that uh, there is unexpected power behind selflessness. You do live longer. You are happier. You do look better. Um, and, and it is, in, in a way, an anti-self, self-help book in our approach. So it, it really is sort of when you hit those intersections, look both ways. You don't know what's going to be coming down the road. And in this case, I hit an intersection, I looked both ways, and there was a book. Richard Louis' book, Enough About Me, is available now. And his film, Sky Blossom, we'll let him give you the details. 
May is Military Caregivers Month. It's uh, Memorial Day Month. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. All of these things in the month of May are, are so right down the, the, the line of, of the movie. Um, and so we picked May for it to be broadcast uh, on MSNBC at the end of the month. Uh, it will be in theaters in all 50 states. AMC and Universal Pictures as community partners are making this possible. Uh, you, you can go see the movie for free. Um, it will also be on DVD in Walmarts on the 24th of May. Um, if you like that, please support that. Go buy one. Give it away. Um, this is a not-for-profit film. We all uh, handled this thing with kid gloves. We hope you enjoy it. We hope that you understand that, um, just as I told the families, I would guard their stories, that you would accept this gift and watch the story. If you want to learn more about the film, please visit skyblossom.org or the Elizabeth Dole Foundation website. Support for this podcast comes from the Annenberg Foundation, dedicated to addressing the critical issues of our time through innovation, community, compassion, and communication. When I'm 64 is produced by Kerry Thompson and Ava Amadegi. Please like us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, longevity.stanford.edu. You've been listening to When I'm 64, the podcast for caregivers. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ken Stern.